turn to Acts chapter 1. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 1, I'm going to start with um, a psalm. Um, but I want you to keep your finger in Acts 1. In Psalm uh, 19, Psalm 19 reads this way, Psalm 19:1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. The heavens are declaring the glory, the glory of God. Nature is, is, is describing God to us. Every day, day in, day out, night in, night out, they are pouring forth speech about him and who he is. They are testifying about God. And the world sees it. It is crystal clear. These attributes that nature is telling us about God describe him or describe characteristics of him uh, that are undeniable. In Romans chapter 1 also, Romans 1 verse 18 reads this way, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident, one, within them, for God made it evident in them. And then verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, they have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. The heavens are declaring the power, the glory of God. And it is crystal clear, it is evident in, uh, it is evident in what we see, it's evident in what we discover, it's evident in what we learn. It's there, and it's crystal clear. Psalm says, night after night, day after day, everything, all of nature, all of this beautiful universe, earth and this universe, is screaming good things about God. What are the heavens declaring about God? Well, they're declaring, one, that he is. That which is created has something from outside of it that created it. And this space and time that we live in here tells us that God is and that he's outside of this. He's outside of our space. He's outside of our time. He isn't constrained by time. God isn't, doesn't have an age. God wasn't born he, because he is not constrained to this thing called time that we are. So the heavens are declaring that he is, that he exists, that he's there, and that he's outside, in, uh, outside of time itself. And he's declaring that he's powerful. He's om, um, omnipotent. He's all-powerful to create what we see here the intricacies of what we see in nature. He, it's describing his power. Jeremiah 32 says, uh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. It displays and it's telling us about his power, his majesty, what he can do. And nature is also telling us that God is really, really smart. He's a genius in how he put this together. He has he he given the laws of, of nature. He's given nature laws to follow. Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 3 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. His knowledge, um, the deeps, uh, by his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. As smart as scientists think they are, they become foolish in their thinking when they believe that ours is the highest intellect that we are the smartest things in this universe. 
We can't create the dirt that God used to create man. And we think that we're, we're that high and mighty. But the heavens are declaring much about God, who he is, that he is, that he's all-powerful, and that he's really, really um, uh, has the intelligence to have done all this, and he's just mighty in that way. Well, that's the introduction to today. The heavens are declaring, the heavens are talking, the heavens are describing to mankind every day who God is, what God is, how God is. Every day they're declaring that. Where you were created by him too. I was created by him also. What does your life tell people about God? What does, what, um, does your living tell us, others, believers, non-believers, about God? I want you to hold on to that question for a minute. Acts is going to help us um, work through that question. That's a deep question. And it seems like I keep coming back to this. I, I, I thought to myself, it wasn't too long ago that I was preaching about something like this, wasn't it? And I thought, yeah, yeah, but I keep seeing it everywhere. I keep seeing it as I'm studying and going through and working, and, and it just keeps popping up. And so it's an important thing. It's been something that God has placed on my heart. Acts chapter 1. Um, look with me, please, in Acts 1, starting at verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father, to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. Verse 5, for John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were all asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that, you're, that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed for his own, by his own authority. And verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Amen. Acts chapter 1 um, the book of Acts, just a little background, very, very brief, is written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a Gentile. He's the only, only Gentile who has a book written, uh, who wrote a book in the Bible. Everyone else was Jewish. There, there were, um, but Luke was a Gentile who had, um, who had uh, converted, and, and he was a faithful believer, but God is going to use him in a mighty way to pen two books, the book of Luke, and this book of Acts. He's a physician. He's a doctor. So Luke has, um, has studied and Luke has learned and he's learned for his time and his day. He's an intelligent, um, intelligent man. And Luke is the only one that Paul tells us. He traveled with Paul and, and when everyone else had de deserted Paul, Paul is writing to Timothy, writing one of, the last times he'll ever, uh, one of the last times he'll ever write to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he says, Luke, Luke is the only one that has stuck with me. The entire time, Luke has been faithful 
So Luke is a, is a Gentile believer. He's a physician, smart, intelligent young man. He's been traveling and hanging with Paul. And in fact, he was faithful. He, he hung with Paul to, to the very end. Luke is a faithful servant. And Theophilus, Theophilus um, had to be some high-ranking Roman official. Um, his name means friend of God, and so um, there's a possibility that he could have been um, a saved um, Roman official, um, uh, uh, possibly, but Luke is writing to him. This book of Acts is, a, is writing to a Roman official to tell him what's happening or tell him what happened to be a witness for what has gone, uh, what has, uh, gone on. About Christ, um, about Christ, who he is, and these disciples of his, and this thing that's sweeping across the Roman Empire, this thing called Christianity. Notice in verse 6 again, verse 6. Verse 6 says, um, he says, when they had come together, and I like that word coming together, coming together, that's the word for church, ecclesia. Ecclesia is a holy huddle, a gathering. Jesus says, all right, guys, come together. We're coming together in this huddle. I've got I've to tell you something. I've got to get ready to call the next play for you. And he calls them together. And when he called them together, they were asking him. And they were saying, Lord, at this time, now, Lord, is it now? Now are you going to restore um, the kingdom to Israel? They had asked him that question before. They, were been, they had been waiting for that question. That's what Judas wanted. That's what everybody wanted. That's, they wanted Christ to come and to break away the yoke of this Roman Empire with the, uh, and take uh, Israel um, away from uh, this slavery and to restore the kingdom of Israel to the glory days when it ruled and it ruled itself and, and there was peace in the kingdom. They asked Jesus after his resurrection. He's sitting there. He's, he's been raised. He's been talking with them. He's been there for 40 days. He's been um, um, walking with them and praying with them and, and, and uh, sup, uh, eating with them. And he's been with them this time after the resurrection. They saw the pain and the torture and the hurt that he went through. They saw that he had all power in his hand by uh, being raised from the grave, from raising himself. And, and, and they, um, they saw all of that. They were witnesses to all of that. And they asked him this question. Lord, now, now, Lord, is the kingdom going to be restored to Israel? John Calvin said this about verse 6. He said, marvelous, marvelous is their rudeness. That when, when, as they had been diligently instructed by the space of three whole years, they had been with Christ for three years. They had seen him do what they saw him do, and they saw the miraculous, and they're standing in front of him right, standing in front of him right there. They had been instructed for three whole years, but, quote, they betrayed no less ignorance than if they had never heard a word. There are as many errors in this question as there are words, end quote. They, at this point, having seen everything, were still thinking earthly. They were still thinking politics, political. And Christ is saying, you, you, you don't get it yet. You haven't gotten it yet. It's bigger than that. The promise that God made was bigger than Israel. It was bigger than what they had experienced or what they were looking for, bigger than what they were expecting or what they were desiring, and they still didn't get it yet. The promise was bigger than Israel, always had been from day one. In Genesis chapter 12, God is talking to Abraham, and he's setting this covenant, uh, he, uh, setting this covenant with Abraham, and, and he didn't call a people per se, he made a people. He didn't call Israel. He said, I'm going to make 
of people that will be this for me. And so as he, um, well, when he called Abraham, he said, Abraham, I am going to bless those who bless you. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make of you, Abraham, I will make you a great nation. God had to create the people that he was going to use and that the, the people that were going to be the, 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 called the people of his eye. He didn't call a people and a nation from the, from the beginning. He called Abraham, and he said, from Abraham, from you I'm going to make a people because there weren't a people yet. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. Genesis 12, verse 3. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. From day one of Abraham's calling, God's intention was to bless this world. Bless the nations, to bring the nations to himself. And he was going to use a nation that he raised up, that he created, that he was responsible for. He was going to use that nation to do that, to bless this world. And they got it all backwards, and they got it all twisted up. They flipped it all around. We're the apple of his eye. We're the best. We're the greatest. It's just us. It's us and nobody else. Us and them. Us and them. That's what it's always been is us and the Gentile dogs. Us and everyone else. But from the first message that God gives Abraham, Abraham, I'm choosing you to be the conduit through which I'm going to bless this world. And, 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 and don't get that mixed up and don't get that wrong like so many had like so many Jews did. The promise was bigger than them. But the disciples here, even the disciples here were sitting thinking, don't you see, don't you get it? But they didn't. They're still asking God political questions. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power. He didn't rebuke them. He just says, it's not your problem. It's not for you, in verse 7. It's not for you to know the times and, and the epics and whatnot for what God, for what God is, um, uh, has set in his own authority. God is going to deal with that. That's God's situation. I've got something for you to do. That's God's authority. That's what God is going to um, uh, be responsible for. But for you, I've got something else for you to do. Get your focus right. Remember in the Karate Kid, he says your focus needs more focus. Our focus needs to get right. Our focus has been earthly. Our focus has been political. Our focus has been national. Our focus has been on the nation. And our focus has been on, and God is going to say to them, that's not your focus. That's not what I want you to be thinking about. You don't have to waste your time with that. God has set the nations in their time and in their place. God set Rome in its time and in its place. God has set the U.S. in its time and in its place. God has set up and God takes down, and it's on his time schedule and in his scale. But you and I, Jesus said, I've got something else for you to think about and to focus on. You are going to receive power. He didn't command it. He didn't say, he was just making a statement. You are going to receive power from on high. After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive that power because I've got something for you to do. I need you to witness. I need you to be a good witness about me. 
Not just a good witness where you're comfortable, Jerusalem. But I want you to be a witness in Judea, Samaria. Samaria. I want you to be a witness to the othermost parts of the earth. Now, I want you to understand the enormity of that statement to the Jews who were hearing that. The Jews had issues. The Jews had problems with others. It was them and others. Them and the Gentiles. Them and dogs. There were only two classes of people in the Gentile mind. And Jesus is saying, I need you to be a witness for me, a witness of me, here and everywhere. And for them, that had to have been a very, very difficult thing. Jerusalem, tough. It would be tough to be a witness in Jerusalem. They just saw the mob crucify Jesus Christ. They just saw the religious leaders crucify the Messiah and the Savior. And he's saying, stay there. Witness there. Be there. He had to tell them, in fact, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit, this power to leave. Stay there. Because the tendency right now is probably for them to get up and get out. Christ has been crucified, and, and there are enemies there. But Jerusalem is comfortable. Jerusalem is kind of comfortable. In Jerusalem, they all look like me. They all look like the disciples. They're saying, they, they, they talk like me. They act like me. They like the same food that I like. They listen to the same music that I like. I'm, I'm comfortable here in Jerusalem. This is my comfortable spot in terms of my social interactions. But Christ is going to challenge them. He's going to challenge them and say, and I want you to be witnesses there, but I also want you to be witnesses in Judea. Judea was a little more mixed. It's, a, it's, a, it's um, to the left, to the left, to the west and south of Jerusalem um, and Judea and, and, and Samaria. Samaria, but it's a place, Judea is, is a little more um, urban in the sense that it's a little more mixed. People don't look like me. All of them don't talk like me. All of them don't listen to the same music that I listen to. All of them, some of them have different ideas. Some of them have different thoughts and different ways and different cultures and different expressions of their culture. They don't all look like me, so I'm going to bump into people that are not just like me. Maybe a little uncomfortable, more uncomfortable, because it's not all the same. But Jesus says, I want you to be witnesses there too. And then the real stinger, and I want you to be witnesses in Sumeria. I want you to understand the statement, how huge that statement is. Sumeria is what they never went through. Sumeria is what they avoided like the plague at all costs. For a Jew to go through Samaria is unheard of. Samaria is a place you go around. You don't like Samaria and Samaritans so much so that we've got to go around their territory. And in going around, it's more dangerous. The story of the Good Samaritan is about somebody on the road who was hurt, who had been uh, um, beat up by, by thieves and, and by robbers. That happened that was very common, and it happened because the long way around Samaria was long and windy and, and, and mountainous, and, and, and it was a dangerous route to go. Many people can, could, could hide in, in lots of places to jump you and take you, and, but that's what they preferred to do, the risk they preferred to take rather than going through Samaria. They had racial issues with Samaria. Samaria, God is saying, I even want you 
and I want you there to be a witness of mine. I don't want you to avoid Samaria. I want you to be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Sumeria and to the other, other parts of the earth. You must understand what Jesus was calling them to. It wasn't an easy thing. Your faith and my faith, it's not an easy faith. And sometimes, sometimes we up front make it seem easy. Just, just say a prayer. Just say, just repent and, and call Jesus your Lord and Savior and you'll be saved. And Jesus said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want you to think and count the cost first. Count the cost of what it means to be my disciple. Count the cost before you make the decision. This is a tough decision. It's a hard decision. And some people make that decision based off of something that happens in their life. They come to Jesus when they have a Jesus moment, when they have a crisis in their life. Lord, I'm coming to you because I need you to fix this crisis. Lord, I need you to take care of my marriage. That's why I'm coming to you. And Jesus says, no, that's not why you come to me. That's not how you become saved. Some people come because they say, Lord, my, my, my loved one has, has, this, has a, a cancer or, or is dying, has this terminal illness, and Lord, would you please touch them? And they come to church and they decide to come to church because they're having that crisis and they want Jesus to fix a crisis. And Jesus would say, that's not who the saved are. You don't become saved by asking me to fix a crisis in your life. You come to me because you realize just how sinful you are, just how filthy you are, and that nothing you can do can clean you. It takes me. And when you mourn over that condition that you're in, your heart just pours out and breaks because of that condition. Jesus steps in and salvation becomes real. There are a lot of people who think they're saved and they're not because they came to Jesus and they came to church because of a crisis. But as soon as that crisis is over or as soon as God doesn't answer their prayer for that crisis, they're out. And they sit here for a year or two and year, months and, and, and years and, and years and then Jesus doesn't work right for them and they're out. I know, I was there in that same place my freshman year in college. Jesus wasn't working for me, I've gotta go. He wasn't working it out the way I wanted him to or the way I thought he should because I was doing the right thing. I was praying and I was going to church. I was trying to do what the, a good Christian would do, but he wasn't working and I was ready to go. I understand. It's a tough thing, this thing called salvation. Choose, think before you jump into it. If you're full of, 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 of uh, bitterness and anger and hatred or, or whatever or hurt or just pain, You've got to still think through what it is that you're bringing to God in, that salve, in, in asking him to touch you and to bless you. Well, that was a, that was a rabbit hole. Let me come back from that. <laughs> what does it mean for us to be his witness? What does it mean for Susie Q or, or Billy Bob or Pablo or Tyrone or Uniqua or Austin to be a witness of God? Can you understand what I just said? Some of you know. I just read off the names to the backyard again. Some of you may know that. Some of you may not. <laughs> Love that show. <laughs> what does it mean for us to be witnesses to God? What does it mean for us to be a witness 
of him or to him. Well, I have a friend, a good friend I've been working with for the last 13 years. He's a judge in Riverside. And so I sat with him um, a couple of weeks ago to ask him, witness. I wanted to, because it's a court term, and I, I wanted to get an understand, a deeper understanding um, for it. In court, a witness is the person who swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. That's what a witness is, to tell the truth. So a witness is about being credible. A witness is about being believable. What I say I want people to know is believable. The essence of credibility is believability. Can I believe what you are saying? Are you a credible witness? Credibility gives us the right to speak the truth. If I'm not credible, if my witness is not credible, I don't have the right to speak, and I won't speak if someone proves or, or, or discredits me. My witness is no longer believable. To testify in court or to testify in this world, to testify of Christ, to testify about Christ without credibility, our testimony, our testimony, if they even hear it, is suspect, not believable. And that's not a good thing. To not be credible, Webster, um, uh, Webster Online says, a situation in which the things which someone says are not believed or trusted because of the difference between what is said and what seems to be true. To be credible, what we say and what we do must, be, must match and, and must be true. Our witness is credible. What makes a witness credible? What's going to make your witness and my witness credible? Well, one, in, in, in the court of law, the witness has to be the person who has, um, who has knowledge of the facts, for one. They've got to know. Um, they've got to have, have, have um, gone through or seen the circumstance that they're going to speak to. They have to be knowledgeable of, of just the facts. But even, even if they are knowledgeable, sometimes, as this judge was telling me, sometimes a witness can be discredited just because of their mannerisms, just because of their demeanor, the actions when you speak. You know, they say um, um, communication, verbal communication is only part of communication. You say a lot more by what you don't say. I'm a teacher, been a teacher for 29 years. This is year 29 for me in teaching at the high school. I've seen, an, oh, God bless you, thank you. I, I, I have seen, I have seen it. These kids are sitting in the classroom and I got some. <sighs> they don't have to say a word. They're saying, Campbell, it's time to go. You, you, are, you are just talking too much, I see it. Or I see it, I see it here in churches. I see it, and I know some of you are going to change, I mean, I have to change after I do this, but I see this. <laughs> now everybody's doing this. <laughs> I see it. It's, it's your demeanor and what you don't say, just your posture, and, and what, that says a lot also. It says a lot in terms of your witness. So you can discredit yourself in just what you appear, how you appear. That is, that's an important part of, of being credible. We're not credible. We have to watch what we say and how we say it, and not just that, but our posture and, and how, we, uh, how we look, our demeanor. And then consistency is what makes a good witness or makes a witness credible. Is your story the same today, yesterday, today, and, and tomorrow? Or does the, story keep, does the story keep changing? Is it different? You know, so all these things determine or make a witness credible. 
Is the witness credible? Can you imagine a witness getting on the, on the stand and the, the lawyer um, talking to the witness and the lawyer saying, okay, um, so, uh, so uh, what did you see? Describe what you saw. And the witness says, well, I, I wasn't really there, but I heard someone told me, someone told me about this and that, whatever, immediately. Their witness means absolutely nothing. Their testimony means absolutely nothing. They were not there. It's just hearsay. They did not experience it. They didn't go through it. They were not there. They didn't see it. Their witness isn't credible. Sometimes in the, in the, in the courtroom, or even before the trial starts, lawyers are trying to impeach, impeach a witness. They don't want that witness on the stand. They're trying to discredit. They call it impeachment, impeachment of a witness. But they're trying to discredit, discredit that, um, uh, that witness, trying to make that witness's testimony unbelievable. Because when you lose your credibility, once that credibility is gone, nothing that you say later is believable. Everything that you say is suspect. And that's a difficult thing. Everything that you say, once you are discredited, your witness is discredited, even if what you want to say is true and is the truth, it is going to be difficult to believe. Once, uh, once that happens, the, we, have, we have a situation where the disciples, well, they were credible witnesses. They've been with Jesus Christ. They had been with him for three years. They saw his manner, his, uh, his manner of life. They saw the miracles. They saw how meek he was, how gentle he was. They saw his authority. They, they listened to his instruction. They saw and were witnesses to his, his resurrection power. They were qualified to be or to bear witness of him. Their witness would be credible. Their witness was credible, and it was incredible, their witness, uh, their witness it was, because of what they experienced and how how they, they um, were, th were there and a part of it. So now we go back to the, my original question. What's your witness like? How is your witness? If I assume everyone in here is a Christian, and I know that not to be true, there's some who are seeking, there's some who are looking, some who want to know, but haven't made that decision yet. But for those of you who are, who say you are, what does your witness look like? Are you credible? Is your witness credible? Is, is, is your testimony about who Christ is, is it believable? Does your witness demonstrate the reality, the truth that Jesus is, that he's there, that he exists? Does your witness demonstrate the truth of, of what he said, of what he taught? Does your witness, does your witness demonstrate or is, demonstrate the truthfulness that we are, we are sinful beings. I think everybody can say that. We're just despicable and sinful. If you don't start right there, you're starting in the wrong place with the gospel. That's to everyone. You are despicable. I am despicable. I know how rotten I am inside. Other people might think I'm a great person, a good guy, a good guy, this or that or whatever, but I know, my wife knows, my kids have heard, I've got issues. Pastor Mel has issues that we deal with. We all do, and we start there. Lord, I, I, I am, I'm just this, I'm in this place. Do you realize, does your witness, is your uh, witness testify to that and testify to God is good, that God touched someone like me, reached out for someone like me, and God saved someone like me? Does your witness show how merciful God is 
because you show that same mercy? Does your witness show that, reflect that because God saved someone like me, reached down to save someone like me, knowing what I'm like and knowing what I've done and knowing where I've been and knowing what I've seen and knowing what I've said and knowing, and God reached out and was merciful to me when I deserved not mercy, when I deserved death, but he reached out to me and he touched me and he saved me. Does your witness reflect that same mercy? Or do other people see you as merciless, unkind, cruel, mean, not compassionate, not warm? Are you, that, are you just as warm as a, 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 per, a porcupine? You know, just, you, you know, people don't want to hug you. People don't want to be around you. People find it difficult and get hurt when they hug you. Are you or does your witness reflect that same mercy? Lord, I know that she does not deserve mercy from me. She was, she was terrible to me, and she was mean to me, but, Lord, you reached down to me when I was in that same state, when I needed mercy, and when I cried off for mercy, Lord, you gave me mercy. How can I not reciprocate and do the same thing for that person who doesn't deserve it? Are you, is that your witness? Or is your witness, oh, no, 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 you did this to me, I'm getting you back. That's me. Oh, no, 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 no. You said this to me? Oh, I will get the last word in this. Are you that person that just can't bridle your tongue because you're the one that just has to, you've got to get over? What is your witness like when people hear you, listen to you, look at you? Would they believe that God is full of grace and God is full of that grace because it flows from you and they see that? Is that your witness? Would they believe your witness if you told them God is a healing God? God heals today. Would they believe that from you? God heals physically. and God heals emotionally. God heals psychologically. I can tell you that because he's done that. That's your witness. Is that your witness? Who's ever looking at you, and trust me, they are looking at you. They're looking at you. Are they going to see that? Do they, when they see you, when they read you, do they see that, that God's way is the way? Or are you the person who says, no, no, it's my way or the highway. It's the way I want to do things. It's the way I want to see things done. It's that way or there's going to be trouble in this house. Or there's going to be trouble on this job. It's my way, the way I see fit. Or are they the ones that say, no, God's way is the best way. You're humble and submissive in that. And that you're trusting God. You're always trusting God. Is that what they see when they see you? Do they see that God is patient and kind and compassionate and gentle because that's what you are? Are you that credible witness? Men and women, men and women um, um, in the Bible, um, they're, they're, they're gone and passed away, but you're, you're a witness. God is calling you to be a witness. God is calling you to be a living witness today. Are you that living witness? Let me, let me tell you a story that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. It just touched my soul. I was calling everyone. And I don't even know if I told you this yet, but if I did, forgive me, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to tell it again. Happened a couple of weeks ago. I had a father call me, a grandfather call me. As most of you know I do the work in the schools, and I've done work with a lot of the African-American students who are underperforming and not doing well, haven't been doing well, for whatever reason. There's lots of reasons. I kind of have my ear to the ground. I kind of know what's going on. I kind of know what's happening in the community. I do a lot of work in the African-American community as well. But I was caught off guard about a month ago, a month or so ago, 
the kids were, ha- the youth were having a Black Lives Matter rally. And just youth. And they had it. I didn't know about it. I didn't hear about it. I didn't. And that's not typical. It, it was just, it was going to happen. It happened up in Lyman, uh, Eastvale. Happened on Lymanite. And they, it, so many kids showed up. So many kids showed up that they, that the intersection had to be, um, was, was closed because kids were spilling out into the street or whatever. And not being uh, mean or honorary or disrespectful or whatever. It was just a lot of people. And so the sheriffs were called in, and they had to kind of keep things tight and keep things in order. And, and, and I didn't hear about that at all. A couple of days later, I get a call from a grandfather who lives in Eastvale. I've been working with him at the, at the high school, local high school. And, and he called, he said, Mel, those are just kids out there. He passed by, it caught him off guard too. He passed by and he said, those are just kids. They're just 18 and 19 year old kids. And they have no gray hairs, no gray hairs with them to teach them and to instruct them, to train them, to pray with them, to do those things. Mel, they need some gray hairs up there. He was telling me they were calling another one. They were calling another rally for that following Saturday in Eastvale off of Sliceman and, and Archibald. And he said, Mel, they need some gray hairs there. They're just kids. And it was just me, him, and Sam Caton. I called Sam Caton, Elder Sam Caton here. I called Sam, and, and Sam was going to meet us up there, and we, we all met up there. Well, it didn't turn out to be big. It turned out to be really small. There were about 20 kids there. And he was right. They were just all kids, just kids. Now, whatever we think, whatever you think, whatever I think about Black Lives Matter, they're just kids, and they're looking for direction. Some of them are. They're looking for someone older to teach and to instruct. Well, I got to talk to the organizer, DeMario, a young man, intelligent young man. DeMario, why are you up here? Why are you doing this? It was a great opportunity for me. He says, I had a bad experience. I was 14 years old, and the police bust into my house. They handcuffed me, handcuffed my little sister, and handcuffed my wife. They put us on the curb, and they grill us for an hour, an hour or two, and, and they're searching the house because they're looking for my dad. My dad's a knucklehead, but they just grill us, and they, they, were, they just tore the house up, and, and we're sitting on the curb, and, and I just don't like them. Demario, what's, what's your plan? What are you trying to do? What is this for? What are you trying to accomplish? What, what do you want people to see and know and hear? I'm not judging him. I'm just talking to him. I'm asking. DeMario said, I want to sew this community together. I want this community to be better. I want the African-American community to be tighter and closer and closer knit, and I want Eastville to be a better place. That's why we're here to say this. Oh, okay, all right, all right, DeMario. I asked DeMario if I could pray for him. I even prayed with him on that corner. Isaac, Isaac is another leader of the group, another organizer. Isaac is the militant one. Isaac is the hothead one, could be the hothead one. I, I sensed that from the very beginning. So I'm focusing on DeMario, leader, good head on the shoulders, listening. Sitting there with David, Pat, uh, with, with David the, the other gray hair, we sat there for about an hour and a half and the fellowship was good, talking with him, teaching him, talking to him about, you know, it's Christ. What's your foundation? Is your foundation Christ, DeMario? Because if you are truly the leader that it looks like you are, you're going to need that. You're going to need Christ as your foundation. You don't need to know where he tells you to go, you need to go, and where he tells you not to go, you don't need to go. And, and we, we were talking on that level. After about an hour and a half, it was 98 degrees, Campbell was done. Mel was done. Pastor Mel was, was done and hot and tired. And there are only 20 kids on the corner anyway, so Mel is getting ready to go. I pack up and getting ready to go. Across the street, we're on the corner with the CVS. Across the street at the 7-Eleven were the sheriffs. And there were there, three of them, in clo- uh, clothed, and then there were a couple of un, um, unmarked. Um, uh, uh, vehicles, and they were sitting there in the shade um, of the tree at 7-Eleven just to make sure things 
didn't get out of hand and things were cool. And the kids have been watching them the entire time. Yeah, there they are, see, there they are. There, that's what they look, there, there they are. I'm getting ready to, um, I, I'm rolling out. David, uh, the other, um, the grandfather said he'd stay there for a little while longer. I'm rolling out, I turn the corner and I'm turning and, and I see uh, the sheriffs and God, God just spoke to me clear as day. He said, Mel, call David, the, the grandfather. Call him back right now. Tell him to take DeMario across that street and introduce him to those sheriffs. Mel, he said he wanted to sew the thing together. Do it my way. Let me teach him how to do it my way. Not his and not yours and not the way the world. Talk, call him over there. And I called David back and I said, David, I'm driving. I can't turn back around. I got to go. But David, take DeMario across the street. And David, call me back. David, call me back. Please tell me. And I hung up the phone and I'm praying, Lord, please. Please move on, DeMario. Please move on, Lord. Please move on. And please move on those officers. And please move on those officers. And I am praying. David called me back in 10 minutes. I'm stuck on traffic on the 15 going south. I'm stuck in traffic. Can't go anywhere. I'm waiting. And I'm praying. I'm just praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. David calls me back. He said, Mel, you will never believe what happens. Oh, yes, I will. Yes, I will, David. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Tell me. And David said, Mel, I tried to convince DeMario to go across the street. He said, no. He said, no. Why would I go across the street? I hate the, I hate police, uh, the police. Why would I go across there? He would not go. But PJ, uh, PJ said, oh, I'll go. He was one, he was a knucklehead. He was there, he was one of the knuckleheads. But he said, I'll go. I don't know why. He said, I'll go. And David couldn't convince DeMario to go. And David was getting ready to step out on the curve. And David said, the minute I stepped out on the curve, DeMario came running up and said, okay, I'll go. And they're walking across the street. And both PJ and DeMario are talking to David going, look, see, look at the sheriffs. They're looking at us coming over. They look racist. They look like they're racist. And they're talking about us and, they, and they're thinking this thing and thinking this and thinking that about us. David, but, they, but they still continue and they go over. And David says, Mel, they started talking. And the conversation got warm, Mel. And DeMario started to let his guard down. And Officer Freeman started to let his guard down. It got so good, Mel, that they exchanged phone numbers. Ooh, I'm sitting there going, glory. God was good, and I'm going, woo. And David says, Mel, 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 I'm not done yet. And I'm going, woo, I can't wait to what he's going to say. David, what happened? David said, Mel, it got warm. They exchanged numbers, and they said they're going to be in touch with each other. They didn't see each other the same anymore. That sheriff, uh, Officer Freeman, didn't see DeMario as this a threat, a young black man who, who may have been hostile looking or a threat or whatever. He didn't see that anymore. And DeMario didn't see a racist sheriff's officer anymore. He just, they were just people. They were just people. And they're walking back across the street. David said, we're walking across the street. He said, Mel, coming out of the CVS was an older white woman. She came out of CVS with popsicles for those black kids on the corner. I said, like, <laughs> I said, David, what? What? And he said, I don't know what she believed. I don't know if she uh, agreed with him or not agreed with him, whatever. She saw all these black kids on the corner sweating on a hot day, and she brought them popsicles. What a witness. What a witness. They are sitting on the corner. These black kids are hugging an older white woman and eating popsicles <laughs> on the corner, on, on a Black Lives Matter rally on the corner. I said, David, woo! I said, David, God is good. And he said, Mel, God is good. And David is fringe. He's like, oh, I, I want to trust God. I don't know about this God thing. He's kind of fringe. But David is going, Mel, I, can't, I, I just can't explain it. I can't believe it. I'm like, David, woo! I'm just excited too. And David said, Mel, I'm not done. Because I'm, I'm still shouting and I'm still whatever. He says, I'm not done yet. He says, Mel, a minute later, I look up. I look up and DeMario is walking across the street with popsicles for the officers. Wow. 
We are all they needed was someone, gray hairs, someone knowledgeable, someone who trusted God in his way. That's what they need. That's what the world needs today. All the craziness that's happening out there today, they need our witness. And our witness must be credible. But I don't like them. I don't like how they act. And I don't like what they, how they look. And, and I'm uncomfortable with them. They're, they're different from me. And I'm, Jesus didn't ask the disciples to stay comfortable. He said, here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, where's your Samaria? What do you avoid? What do you go around, and what do you take the long way around, and what do you burn more gas to do so that you don't go through your Samaria? What is your Samaria that Christ is asking you to be a witness to? We all have them. We all have ours. It could be racial. It could be family. It could be, what, it could be whatever it is. Jesus is saying, that's where I want my witness. That's where I want your life to be a witness for me. That is where I want you to go. That uncomfortable place. Get out of your comfort and go there. It's when we're out of our comfort zone that God can show up and show off, show out. Do what he does best. It's in those places. But until we leave that comfort zone, it's not. Our witness must be credible. Or it's just lip service. It's just lip service. First Peter 2 says this, keep your behavior excellent among the unbelievers, among Gentiles, that they, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, may glorify God in the day of his visitation. It's not about you. It's not about your comfort. It's not about me. It's not about what we, what we feel and how we feel. It's about God being glorified. God gets the glory in that. David is now worshiping God in a different way, in a closer way, because he saw something of God in that exchange. DeMario, this young man, his life has changed forever and how he sees and how he organizes and how he's going to talk to other young adults, these kids. Sheriff Freeman, I don't even know him. I don't know what happens, but his life has changed because someone went through their Samaria. For DeMario, he went through that Samaria, though it was hard. And he tested God in his word to see if it was indeed true. The question of what's your witness like is an important question. The question of what's the credibility of the church like is a deep question as well. We, the body of Christ, our witness must be credible if we're going to tell the world how to do it. The world should be coming to us saying, how do you do it? How did you bring black and white together in the same place? How did you solve the problem of people with different political ideologies sitting in the same place? How did you, how did you do it, people with different whatever? Just how, how did you do it? The world should be asking that. But church, we're different. Our witness, our witness, our witness must be credible. We have said we believe in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 says he has knocked down the dividing walls of hostility between us. Like, like uh, Shane or like someone was saying this morning, he's knocked down the dividing walls those walls that divide us, the Jew and the Gentile, the saved and the unsaved. For the Jew, it was a, a racial ideology, a national ide ideology. It's, but Ephesians 2 says he's knocked down those walls. Look, I'm here to challenge you this morning. Look. Look. Have we? Martin Luther King said 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour of the week. 
That was 50 years ago. Look, I preached at a black church about a month ago. There was a black church and there was a handful of brown in the audience. I preach at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's predominantly white with a handful of black and brown scattered throughout. We own a church and a property down Lincoln that we rent out to a Hispanic church and to a Filipino church. There is a Chinese church and a Hmong church across the, uh, in Riverside, across the, uh, not too far from us. Look, what's our witness like? What's the credibility of our witness like? We have, the, we, we say to the world, he's knocked down these dividing walls. Have we? We have said God can do anything. Jesus can do anything. He can save and he can bring the lowliest one um, uh, to, a, to, a, to a better place and he can reach down to the uttermost. He can even raise the dead. But can he do this? Well, I don't know. We said he can. The world heard us say he can. My challenge this morning, like I challenged the black church, like I challenged this church, like I'm challenging every church, our credibility, our credibility is suspect. The world should be saying to us, how did you guys do that? How are you doing this? And our witness is supposed to be, only Jesus Christ can do that. See, it's not for our glory. It is for his glory. It's that he would be edified, not you and not me and not us, not for us to be able to brag about a church or brag about a building or brag about, that's not the purpose. It's for Jesus Christ to be lifted up and for him to draw all men unto him from every tribe and every tongue and from every nation. Can we do that? That's what he's asking us to do in our witness of him and about him. There's so much more. I know I've got, I've got two minutes. What do I got, one minute? He said, no minutes. He said, he said <laughs> Cameron said, That's, that, you've got no minutes. Listen. Listen, I hope you've, you've, you've heard my passion. my passion. My passion is for Jesus Christ to be lifted up. My passion is for Jesus Christ and my witness of him and our witness of him to be that which allows people to go, wow, I want that. Or I might consider that. Or that looks like that's our purpose in everything that we do, even in being uncomfortable in what he's asked us to do. My passion is this, separate but equal, is not cool in the church of Jesus Christ. This is the church he died for. The church he died for, and he does not believe that to be true. Separate, is, separate but equal is okay. I had a pastor, a good friend of mine, who said, Mel, we can worship together. We can, we can do our own. We can love each other in, in unity or whatever, but worship separately and be separate and be different and be, dis, I mean, be dis, distinct and different. I don't know if I like that. That's true. It's a true statement. I can love them. We can love and we can hang out. Tonight's concert, phenomenal for us to do. But once a year, twice a year, when the world is going to hell over crazy things that are happening and the church doesn't have the answer. And the church doesn't have the answer in terms of our credibility and what we're saying. We need to, we need to swear to not just tell the truth, we must swear. I'm going to close. Everybody stand, please. Stand with me, please. In a court of law, before you give your witness and before you give your testimony, as the musicians are coming back on stage, 
you are told, you are asked, before you're going to give your testimony, to swear, to swear an oath. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's what you're called to do. Church, that's what you are being called to do today. But not just tell the truth. Live it. Live it. Be it. And show it so that your credibility and my credibility is good so that we now have the right to say what we're going to say. The truth does matter. But doing the truth matters also. That's what gives us our credibility. I want you to swear to live the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, I bless you and thank you for, for, this, for this time. Lord, I thank you that, um, that you are the one who guides and, and, and leads us, even in paths, Lord God, that scare us, that frighten us. But Lord, you're the good shepherd. You know where you're going. You know what you're doing. Lord God, I pray that this morning, anything that I said, Lord God, that was not of you, please, Lord God, cause us to forget it, every word. But Lord, all the words that were of you and from you, please, Lord God, let them soak deep in, deep in our hearts. I pray, Lord God, that my heart's desire to see you lifted up, Jesus, you shown to the world. Lord, I pray that that witness would be credible. And I pray, Lord God, that the church would rise up and its witness would be credible and that the people that form your body, Lord, the body that you died for, I pray, Lord God, that that would be the sincere desire of their heart to be credible, Lord, in their witness, in their testimony of you. Broken marriages, Lord God, healed as a testimony to you. Broken lives, Lord God, that have been destroyed, saved and raised up and resurrected, Lord, because of you, Lord God. Let that be the witness, in the, in, uh, the witness of ours. Broken hearts, Lord God, mended. Let that be a testimony to the world, Lord. Depression and, and anger and hurt, Lord God, healed, Lord God, because of you and your power. Lord, let that be our witness to a world that is dying, Lord. And Lord, let our try not be enough. I'll try to do it. Lord, let that not be enough. Let our heart just long to do, Lord God, and to be what you've called us to be. Lord, I love you and I bless you this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for your word, for your truth. And Lord, the privilege to come into your presence and commune with you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.